So we've been in a series of messages that we've called, Why This? Where we've been talking about some institutions of the church. And uh, today we're talking about fellowship and a couple of stories in, or things that I heard kind of stuck out in my mind. One was from uh, my previous church. Uh, one of the, I, I found out that a family was no longer attending there. And when I found out why, just it's been troubling my soul because uh, the, the father, the male, the head figure of this family, uh, he said that uh, this is actually a guy, I wasn't super close with him, but we were friendly. And we actually ran our first marathon together. And if you've never run a marathon, right about mile 21, you have emotions and things coming out of you that you've never experienced before. And we kind of met each other at that moment. So it was, a, it was a very raw moment that we shared together where he could not run anymore. And he was like super in shape. I like super in shape. And I actually ended up passing him, which I was just shocked by. And I was in trouble too. But uh, anyway, but we had a real moment of honesty and fellowship and encouragement because we were both running for the same charity. And then I find out that he left the, the church family back in Morris because he wasn't finding any friends. Uh, Jordan uh, pointed this one out to me. There was, there's a man by the name of Ryan Bell. Uh, he, is, he is a uh, minister of the word. He went to seminary. He was very educated and well-versed, and he was minister. And he got this idea. It's one of the stupidest ideas I can ever think of, but he decided to live for a year like an atheist. So he was a minister of the word, but he decided to live for a year like an atheist. So for a year, he did not attend church. He did not pray. He did not read the Bible. He would not go to the church or God for an answer to the world's problems. And after that year was, oh, he did the American thing, which we all need to do is he blogged about it too. So, uh, the, uh, but after a year, you'll never guess what happened. He's an atheist. No longer looking to God. Why fellowship? Again, there are institutions, there are things that we are studying now, things that God has called us to, that unless we study and find out why God created them, then we tend to misuse them. And we miss the value that they can truly add into our lives, and we become disconnected from God's original intent. And today we're going to be answering a question I don't think anyone came here to get the answer for today, but maybe this will in its own way provoke some thought and reaction and some discussion. So today we're talking about why fellowship. Why does God call his people to gather and to just do life together? Uh, Why does God call all of us weird people to gather around him? And what is his purpose? Because if we don't stop and ask why God wants it, then we'll turn it into whatever we want it to be, and that could be very dangerous. While I've never had anyone get overly aggressive with me, I've had several times, I've only been in ministry seven years, but Several times people have come to me and they're saying, you know, I'm saved. You know, Jesus saved me, but I don't have to be involved in church. I don't have to attend. I don't have to go to small group. I don't have to volunteer anywhere. Uh, I'm saved and God and I are fine. I don't need other people. And I'm here to tell you that that's a lie. That is biblically untrue. And let's eliminate all of our understandings right now of the church being a location or a building or something that's geographically centered because... uh, Let's just get away from all the connotations that people place around church, and let's just simplify this. I will define this now as the church is where God's people gather together around Jesus Christ. That's the church. It has different looks and shapes and sizes and locations, but today we're talking about the church in its biggest and most powerful form. 
It's a community that is centered around God. And those that would say that I can, I can live outside of God's community and still be what God intended, intended for me to be, I'm here to tell you that that's just not true. Now, some of you right now might be rolling your eyes, and rightfully so, because what am I doing? I am preparing this sermon to a whole bunch of people who got dressed up and came to church, all right? Dude, go preach this to the people who aren't here, okay? And that's fair, but well, let's not kid ourselves. We're naive to think that some people, that everybody here is for more than just fulfilling their religious duty for the week. Or there's parents who bring their children thinking that if I could get my kids into church, that maybe they'll have a better life than I did. So there are many reasons why people may be here today or may go to church, but let's focus on what God wants from us and why God called us together. And from there, let's see if we can grow. So I'm going to start this morning by asking and answering three questions. The first is that what is God's purpose in fellowship? What is God doing with this concept of fellowship and what does he want out of it? If we look at culture today and if we want to talk to somebody who wants, and we want to know about a church, you know, if, if I were to go out in the street and ask somebody to find me a good church, they would give me a whole bunch of reasons of what makes a particular place a good church, you know, and they'll give me a whole bunch of reasons that have nothing to do with the Bible. And, okay, so here's, here's some of the things that people look at. How many people do attend there? You know, what sort of buildings and facilities do they have? How many staff members are there? What type of programming do they have for my children? How long is the preacher's beard? Okay, so these are the things that people want to know about. And I think, you know, Jordan, Jordan and I can remember, you know, when we, one of the first things we learned in Bible college when you are talking about ministry, you know, you got to focus on the ABCs, attendings, buildings, and cash. Attendance, buildings, and cash, all right? Because that's, no, that's none of it, Okay. And we have this term, and actually, I was reading it today. I find it a disgusting term in American culture. It's called, we call these things megachurches. Do you know what mega means? Large, important, and impressive. The church is not ours. The church is God's. And so, before we start to call something a megachurch, we need to ask, does God find it large, important, and impressive? Because if God does not find it large, important, or impressive, call it whatever you want. The church is God's, not ours. And again, our purpose in this entire series is not to give you the theological ammunition to lob grenades over at the other Lutherans and Methodists or everything. That's not what we're doing here. But something that I've always loved about our movement the restoration movement, is we call ourselves the Christian church or the church of Christ. And I always, I remember in high school people asking me, you know, do you go to church? Yes, I go to church. Uh, what church do you go to? The Christian church. Well, yeah, which one? Okay. Uh, I just find, I always found it weird that people would identify themselves as a Methodist or a Presbyterian or Lutheran or Baptist. If you identify yourself anything but a Christian first, that just always seemed weird to me. And, in fact, I would actually love it if we put a sign out front that said, Welcome to the Land of Misfit Toys. <laughs> and, uh, because that is this church. And some of you might be offended. Please don't be because you'll find out soon enough you fit right in here. So this is not, <laughs> this is not some polished, fancy people. No, this is a gathering of people that God has organically grown into something that we haven't even experienced yet. And let me tell you, God does not draw his people together to get larger. He draws his people together to get real. And his church will grow 
when we start to focus on what he wants our fellowship to be all about. The main text I'm going to be speaking from today is found in Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to prepare there, we'll be there in a second. Uh, Ephesians is a book, it has six chapters, and Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus. And uh, if you track with me, there's, so there's six chapters. The first three chapters of this book are about how we came into Christ, uh, how God draws his people into him. And then the second three chapters are how do we live? Uh, now that we're in Christ, how do we live out our resurrection? And so uh, what I really like about what Paul, he uses this theme of creation. In Ephesians chapter 1, he says that uh, he chose us, God, speaking of the church, chose us in Christ bef- before the foundation of the world, that the church is God's idea. That, and so, therefore, we can ask, why? Why did he create the church? And then in chapter 2, verse 10, we read that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And if you notice this theme of creation, uh, that this is God's work, this is God's way, this is God's idea, this is what God wants to accomplish in us. And so we know that fellowship, or the church, is part of God's plan for his people. So the second question that I want to uh, look at today is, what is our purpose in fellowship? Why has God drawn us together? And if we go to Ephesians chapter 4, the second part of this book, and Paul again is talking about how we are going to live out our resurrection in Christ. We're going to have this verse up on the screen there. Chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He's saying that I want you to live intentionally. I want you to make choices that honor the resurrection. I don't want you to do it out of duty. I want you to do it because your heart is calling you to live a new life. And in verses 12 and 13, uh, this is the the next section we're going to look at. Paul very powerfully defines why you and I are here. Why the church is part of God's purpose for this world. And it's, it's, it's heavy. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul has not defined the church based on what we think it is today, slick, entertaining, or polished. No, he says the church is when the called gather together and they call one another to be more like Jesus every day. And I have a friend who posted this. He shared this picture on Facebook. Actually, an old work friend. He's not, I'm not very close to them. But it was this quote by Desmond Tutu, but it, and, it, and it bugged me, but it's, it's good. I'm going to throw it up here, or Brian's going to throw it up here. Okay. He says, God's dream is that you and I and all of us will realize that we are family, that we are made for togetherness, for goodness, and for compassion. And this meme will get, a, you know, get the applause, yes, amens, holy harumphs, and uh, then you know, we'll go out our day and forget about it. What's missing here? Because if we're talking about fellowship, yes, we are to be family, that's good, and we need to be together, yeah, and who can argue with goodness and compassion? That's all good stuff, but I've got to tell you that when I think about family, there's no one in this world that I am closer to than my wife and the three little clones of me that you see running around here. So that's my family, we're together, we love each other, but I also tell you, because of how much I love them, there's no one in this world that can also drive me up the wall, want to rip out my own hair crazy, Okay, And they evoke things out of me that I am not proud of. They get me angry, and I can lash out in that anger, and I could be a terrible, terrible person. And, it's, and I hate that. Aren't the, isn't it the people who are closest to us that bear the brunt of our wrath? Isn't that weird? We're weird creatures. But anyways, uh, 
But here's the thing is that I only say that because if the purpose of my family is only so that I could show how much I love them, that has an expiration date because I am a broken, imperfect father and husband. But if I follow God's lead, and if I look at my family the way that he wants me to look at my family, then my family, we're going to be making each other more like Christ. I will learn the self-giving love that Christ taught, and then they will learn to reciprocate, and together we will become more like Jesus. Church, we think that our purpose of gathering and fellowship is just so that we can agree on things. Our sights have become too small because that would make us no different than the world. There are motorcycle clubs, classic car collecting uh, collectors, uh, people who just meet in coffee shops. They do it on Sunday mornings. They gather around something that they find in common. They may even love each other and feel like family. The church is going to stand out and start accomplishing her purpose in the world when we pay attention to what our purpose is supposed to be. When we focus on equipping the saints for the work of ministry, when we build up the body of Christ and we do not stop until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God so that we can achieve the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Because if that, if this is our consuming passion to walk together towards this goal, then God's kingdom will shine. The things of this world will pass away. The, when we think of fellowship, I, when I first thought and I got this topic to start thinking of, what did I think of? I thought of Gene. I thought of our kitchen team. And Gene uses our kids and they make fellowship. And, you know, once a month we, or, you know, during those times we get together, we have snacks after. There's often biscuits and gravy. Hallelujah. Okay, this is... And I think of this, and that is great, and I love that. I love hanging around and getting to see people because it gives me opportunities I often don't have on a Sunday mornings. But if that is the limit of our fellowship, our sights have been set too small. Because fellowship is where we call each other to become more like Jesus every day. So let's pop the bubble of one of the worst Americanizations of the church. That the church is to be an individual endeavor where you are the one who ultimately needs to be satisfied. That's not New Testament Christianity at any level. And we have people, whether it be in taking the Lord's Supper or in our time of worship, of musical worship, that sometimes propagate this idea that I need to have A, B, and C so that I can have it my way so that it's meaningful to me. That's nowhere in Scripture. We gather communally. When I get together with my family on Thanksgiving Day, I am seldom asked what I would like to see. Granted, I I see everything I like, but (laughs) the thing is the fact that we're together and we are, it's good no matter what. And the congregation of God's people has got to be about making sure that God gets his way way before any, any of us get ours. So we know now why God created this community of fellowship, and we know what God wants from our fellowship. So let's answer the third question is, what would we experience in God's fellowship? And this is awkward for me because I struggle. Jordan's communion meditation uh, was spot on for me because I know that because of my sin, my failure, the way that I've hurt my family, the way that I've hurt my friends, the way I've abused the trust that people have placed in me, that truthfully, I should just serve God and expect nothing back. I'm the servant who should just be glad that he doesn't make me a grease spot on this stage right now because I just think of how wretched and broken I am. But yet when I read of God's grace and his mercy, I see that he has no plans of punishing me. In fact, he has plans to bless me. 
His desire is that when I give God what I need to give him, that he has blessings for me that I could never manufacture on my own. And you see, what we experience in God's fellowship, let's go back to Ephesians 4, 13, until we all come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, until we all come. We're here for each other. Again, this theme of creation just keep, uh, kept coming in my mind. Adam and Eve, Eve was not made specifically just for Adam. Adam was created for Eve and Eve for Adam. And then we just, one generation later, we have Cain and Abel, and we look at their situation. Cain kills his brother because he's disgusted with him, and God comes down, and he goes to Cain, he says, where's your brother? And Cain asks that famous question, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is, of course you are. And what Cain thought was too much of an expectation out of him, God did not lower his standard. God said to Cain, yes, you are here for your brother. And we see that God is exposing his heart for his people from the very beginning and how we are to live and to care for one another until we all come. We are not here to aspire to a certain level of Christianity that we find satisfying. We are all here to lift one another up and grow. It is not about me. It will always be about us. 1 Timothy 3.15, to a young preacher, Paul writes this, I'm writing these things to you so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Do you understand? I hope you do because it awakened me as I was studying for the lesson today that I have, I have not been looking at the church the way I needed to. That I invest in this congregation not as a paid staff member, but as someone who believes that what we are doing here is important. Because what we do here holds the truth up for the world to see. That Jesus was here on earth, that he was killed, that he was resurrected. The greatest thing that we will ever know is the message we hold before the world. That Jesus Christ is real. And everything he ever said he would do, he did. There are eyewitnesses to every step of it. And he is worth investing your life in. God has not called us in fellowship together so that we can be satisfied. He called us together so that we can find our satisfaction in making him satisfied. And when we do this, we're not an organization. We're not a business. We're not a country club. We're family. And when family gets together, it's because of two key principles, blood and covenant. I have two people in this world that are my blood brothers because my mom and dad made a covenant and they started a family and that family was dedicated back to God. And I have brothers and sisters who aren't of that same blood, but they are of the blood of Christ and that's what the church is. A covenant around God's purposes where all of us uh, become more like Jesus by being together, not by being apart. So let me tell you how we experience these good things in God's fellowship. The first is that God's fellowship inspires us to live intentionally. It's what I believe the Bible calls worship. It inspires us to live differently than what the world would call us to. Let's listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about what our fellowship should look, should look like. Uh, in chapter 10, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. And with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one, up, one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
All right. You can, you can give me an amen if you've ever had this experience on a Sunday morning. When you came in and just feel, felt like church was the last place you wanted to be, you woke up that morning and it was all you could do to drag yourself out of bed and get here. But then you walked out of here energized and renewed because someone came and sat with you and they encouraged your heart. Has that ever happened for anybody? And we stop and think, well, I don't want to go this Sunday. I don't want to be there. I have better things to do. There's a sporting event. There's this. I, you know, I want to take a nap. And I think of all these dumb things that we put in place of experiencing God. We are missing the opportunity where we could encourage a person who just needs to know that we care about them, who needs to hear, hey, come sit with me, or let's go grab a cup of coffee, or hey, call me this week. We need to talk. You see, it's not about us. It's about him through us. And that's worship. Why fellowship? Because it's part of God's plan to reveal himself and to let his face and his love shine on the hearts of those who need him. And the second is that God's fellowship, God's fellowship encourages us to face life's problems. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul is writing to this church and saying that he's telling them to build one another up, to encourage each other, and he said, just as you are already doing. And he's saying that you're on the right track. You're to hold up those who are weak. You are to celebrate with people that rejoice, and we do all of this together. Now, this is something about togetherness that really I could struggle with because I'm, I'm an introvert, and I'm going to be really honest with you. If I don't get about two to three hours a day by myself alone with nobody talking to me, I can get nasty, all right? I mean, there's days... I walk in, and Carrie can tell in about 10 seconds, oh, you talked to a lot of people today, didn't you? And, yeah, I'll go home. And, and I know that some of you are just going like, what? What are you talking about? That's crazy. And you're an extrovert. You can't stand the thought of being alone. But some of us would thank God to be alone, okay? And now here's the thing is, okay, I was going to ask for an amen for that, but that would be asking introverts to say something, so I stopped. Uh, um, <laughs> But, but here's, here's the truth is that if I have like 12, 13 hours by myself, I desire to be with people again. My cup's full and I want to go splash it on somebody. Now, some of you, your cup's full all the time. And I just want to say, stop splashing for the love of mercy, okay? Leave us alone. But, uh, okay. But you see, in fellowship, there's different personalities. And there's different styles. There's per- different personalities. We could grow into this together. I was reading this in Ecclesiastes. This just kind of really touched my heart. The writer of this book laid out something that I found just very funny. And I'm paraphrasing, but he essentially says, enjoy the days of your youth before life gets really hard. And I think we know what that means, don't we? Now, we're at the tail end of graduation party season, and I'm looking, I'm seeing, you know, high school graduates and uh, the youth today, I see them wrestling with these decisions that, you know, am I going to college? Where am I going to go to college? How do I pay if I'm going to go to college? And then they're, you know, I'm I'm about to finish high school. How am I going to make sure that I have time to experience everything that I want to experience before high school is over? And I think through all these things, and I'll be honest, I don't miss any of that. You know, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that to judge anyone. If you're in the middle of this right now, it just, there's going to be a time in your life where you look back and just say, thank God I'm not in that anymore. And then I... I look, at, I look at my sons, okay, he, he left, but I look at Connor and Ethan especially, uh, six and five years old, all right, and a couple weeks ago, I was in the kitchen making dinner or cleaning up dishes or something, and then I walk in, Ethan runs by, and I'm going to put a picture of this up here, 
He walks by in a Ninja Turtle, uh, with a Ninja Turtle shell and a Frankenstein head, all right? And then about another five seconds, at, and he runs down the stairs, and then five seconds after that, Connor's chasing after him in a knight costume with wolf slippers, uh, and holding his, he's going to go slay the Franken-Turtle monster to save the princess, all right? And now look at these kids, and... You know, they can run around and they can eat a handful, they can handfuls of chocolate and candy and they don't stay up all night. And, you know, they don't, they could get up out of bed in the morning and their back doesn't hurt. And they can, they don't walk into rooms and yell things like, where's my wallet? Where's my keys? Or why did I come into this room? So, (laughs) I miss being six, amen? I miss being six where the ultimate goal of my day was talking my mom out of whether or not I had to take a bath. And I look at our youth and I think now the realities of being an adult are right on their doorstep and at every moment. And I don't miss that. I want to journey with them, but those decisions are hard and they have to make them. And I had to go through that. And that's what the church is going to be about. We're here to help each other. That there's a bunch of us who have been through that We've been through that, that valley where we feel like, man, this world is broken. Our dreams seem shattered. And we can testify and help them to see how God is, brings us through that. And he is faithful every time. Next thing I want to talk about is that God's fellowship instructs us to live by faith. And that is what we call discipleship. It holds our feet to the fire. And I don't want this to be an infomercial. I hate the self-promotion in our churches today. Every church is cooler or bigger or faster and slicker. Come to this church. Come to this church. No, come here. And I don't, I'm not going to do that. We're not better than any other churches. We're just not doing that. This is God's church. He will draw people to himself if we stay faithful to what he called us to. And this is what he does. But even at a church this size, it's impossible for you to have a close personal relationship with everybody in this room. That's just not going to happen. So in order to make this fellowship work, we have to have a few little churches in our midst. And despite the fact that the name doesn't seem to be catching on, that's why we have these things called small churches, all right? Small groups, whatever you want to call them. It's a gathering, a smaller group of people who place an emphasis on getting together and just doing life together. And here's my shameless plug that if you are not involved in one of our small church ministries, get involved. A few of them you know, took most of the summer off. I know mine and a few others were meeting at least once a month. We haven't stopped them just because it's summer, because God's kingdom is always moving. But here's the thing is that I talked about earlier how I need to be alone. And so when I, my small church decided to meet on Sunday nights, I was just dreading that. You know, if I didn't, Sunday mornings take a lot out of me. And that's not a judgment on you. It's a judgment on me. They take a lot out of me. And so I would think that, man, getting together with more people at the end of the night when I haven't had the time to recharge my batteries, I just, uh, I was not looking forward to it. But then I look back, it's, it's the best part of my week. And, you know, and my family, we get together with the, the Rugers, the Leonards, the uh, Najowskis. I mean, we have anywhere from 10 to 200 monsters running around our houses at these times. And so, but our families get together and we eat together, we study scripture, and we just share what's going on in our lives so that we can help each other. And it's funny, when I first came here, you know, I still find in my feet and we were involved in Jordan's small church and uh, and it became clear as we were wrapping up our summer and heading into fall that 
our church had to, we had to do something. We had to split so that we could make room for more people and more people can become involved. And I was dreading it because I'm like, well, I, I love our group. I don't want the dynamics to change. And then and I'm like, so I was kind of fighting against it. And then now it's kind of at the same exact point. We might need to form a new group. And my same exact thought is, I don't want to do it. <laughs> you know, I don't want our group to change. And that's because it's like losing a member of our family. And that's the thing, church. I hope it never becomes easy to split one of our small churches. Because that means we're doing something right. And I've got to tell you, with everything that we have going on here at ODCC, if you walk in and out of here only knowing the people who you were in the car with, you are missing out on the best part of being a Christian. I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but if... I want you to know you are not experiencing everything God wants you to experience if you are not involved with a community that seeks him first. Ephesians 3.10, God's plan was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. The church calls us to find our contribution for God's plan in this world in an act that we call service. God has intentionally wired you to be a player, not a spectator. And part of the unease and the unhappiness that takes root in most of our lives is that we have not yet found our place in, in the kingdom because we haven't offered up everything to our king. And I'm not here to shower anybody with guilt, but there are gifts and there are talents in this room that are not being used for the kingdom. We all make choices with our time. We just have to decide what's worth it, to invest in the thing that's going to last forever or to last in the thing that will fade away after a couple weeks. And once again, in Ephesians 2.10, God created us for good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. We are his workmanship. 2 Corinthians 12, I love this, that Paul is writing about how there's different kinds of service. We call this the body of Christ, that we're not all alike, we're different. And together, we all form parts of one body. And each one of you is a necessary part of it. This is a hokey, cheesy phrase I got picked up from college, but basically said that God did not make any spare Christians. He didn't create you to put you on a shelf to use just in case the real part broke. He created you and wired you for service. And God created to use you today for his glory, and which is the, the best part of this, is that it's for your development. Every one of us has a part to play. And some of us haven't yet experienced this blessing because we haven't given him our hearts. A professor of mine from college shared this uh, with me, and it's stuck with me since. He, got, he took it from his grandpa, so I won't give him credit. But uh, he said, you can't go against God and expect to win. And I think back to my life, how I, I heard that. You can't go against God and expect to win. So I started changing the way I would do things, and I would sometimes go with God so that I could expect to win. And I don't think that's any better. Because I think I should go with God because I trust him. Because then I'll be acting out of loyalty and faithfulness, not out of duty. So today our message is not to challenge you to do more. Our message today is to challenge you to trust him more. Because part of being, being part of the Christian fellowship, active and engaged, it's it's not church attendance. We're not talking about that. We're talking about being involved in people's lives so that we could grow together towards Christ because that's the church. It involves us in fulfilling his mission, his plan for us. God gives you money because there's a purpose for it. He gave you talents because he has a purpose for them. He gave you 
gifts and abilities and relationships. He gave you your parents, good or bad. In Acts 20, verse 24, Paul says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Some of us are scared because if we come and try to become part of this weird little body here that we think that you think you have somebody fooled. We're not fooled. We're all broken. And here's the thing is that have you ever tried to tell somebody how to get here? Uh, Tammy, who's visiting with us, as she drove by this about three times this morning, trying to get here. And I was at Ethan's T-ball game a, few, a couple of weeks ago, and I was working concession stands. And uh, with one of the dads, he, I said, oh, we've only been up here a little over a year. Oh, did you move up here for work? Yeah, I did. And what do you do? Uh, I'm a minister at one of the churches on Oakland Drive. And he just looked at me. And he goes, which one? There's only about, I'm like, yeah, it narrows it down. There's only about 60 of them, so. Only God brings people here. And I just want to say, if you want to come forward, if you have any questions or decisions that you need to make, some of us are afraid to admit that, yeah, I'm broken, I'm a sinner, and we think that, let's quit the facade that we have this all figured out. If you're looking for perfection, I could recommend some places, this wouldn't be one of them. God is so much interested in your tomorrow than he is your yesterday. Earlier today, I called us the land of misfit toys because it's what we are. We welcome everyone into this building. Come sit next to the rest of us. We're gossipers. We're greedy. We are prideful. We are all sinners. We worship a God that accepts everyone just as they are. But don't think for a second that he leaves you that way. We are all washed by the blood of Christ. And by that testimony, we can stand before our creator justified. There's this image in Revelation 12, and it's talking about Satan and in his role of accuser. He is accusing day and night. And and we read in verse 10, I heard a loud voice in saying, a, a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God, of our God, and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have been they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives, even unto death. The church isn't ours, is it? And so I have to ask, what will be the word of the testimony of this church? If our words are about ourselves, they're not going to last long. They'll fade away. But if our testimony is that we always pointed to Jesus, that we drew each other and everyone we could find into following him, if we put aside our petty differences and focus our fellowship to be what we are instructed for it to be, our fellowship will be a revelation of God to this world. Is that not what we want? If there's a decision that you need to make today, if you'd like to know more about being a part of this fellowship, if you just need prayer, we're here. We're family. Won't you come forward as we stand and sing?